0: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Lynn Rensing poufal about leading remote staff to maximize productivity. Lynn Grinsing-Pufal, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you. I'm really excited to have the chance to meet with you today and have a great conversation uh, around the topic of remote work. Uh, You have a recent book that we'll be talking about here in just a little bit, uh, specifically looking at managing remote staff. And I'm really interested in hearing your take on how to effectively lead, to maximize productivity of remote workers. Um, other, other topics that you know, are related to work generally, but within a remote uh, and virtual environment might be a little trickier for, for managers and leaders you know, in, in relation to onboarding, culture, uh, those sorts of things. These are all the topics that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, as we get started, I just wanted to share Lynn's bio with everybody. Lynn Grinsing-Pufal is a business journalist with a background in corporate communications and human resource management. She has many years of experience working remotely for a wide range of clients located around the globe and has managed remote workers herself. Pufal founded Strategic Communications, LLC in 2008 a virtual marketing and communication consulting firm. She writes and speaks frequently on HR-related topics and is especially passionate about employee communication, effective management practices, and developing employees as brand ambassadors. Poufal's initial interest in telecommuting or remote work was spurred by her experiences working as corporate communications director for an investor-owned utility going through a merger, Unable to physically relocate to remain in her role, she began researching the prevalence of remote work, learning that while it was happening uh, to a small degree, there was still many barriers, myths, and misconceptions keeping the practice from gaining widespread appeal. That was in 1996, and since then, the idea of managing remote workers has grown, fueled by the widespread availability of technology, and most, most recently, the COVID pandemic, of course. Uh, again, uh, great to have you with me today, Lynn. Uh, thank you for taking the time and before we really launch into the conversation, anything else that you would like to share by way of personal background or context with listeners
1: boy um, you, you did you did a good job there. I guess the only other thing I would share is that um, I have been writing on issues related to management for a long time and managing and coaching managers and I think my personal passion and my interest. Has really been fueled by this recent occurrence of so many people going remote and, and just watching it happen because I, I always knew it could. And, and so it's very gratifying to see um, the shifts so suddenly taking place.
0: Yeah. And it really has. And as your bio said, and as your experience has been, you know, this isn't new, like people have been doing remote work um, and working virtually for a long time, uh, but it's only been increasing over time. Um you know, in, in recent decades, as the technology has come online to make it easier uh, and more efficient and uh, more streamlined. uh, But also uh, as we moved into more of a contingent workforce in a gig economy, um, that was moving things dramatically in, in that direction. Uh, And then the pandemic happens. And and once that happened and, you know, the flip, the switch flipped and, and, you know, back in March, so many people just immediately went to remote work and everyone had to try to figure out how to do it effectively. Um, So now the conversations we're having around virtual work and remote work, you know, we, we, we have what, eight, nine months of some experience behind us if people hadn't done it much before. And I think organizations are figuring out how to do it better. uh, But definitely there's more to learn and, and hopefully listeners today can pick up some tidbits uh, from your experience and The insights that you share in your book. Um, So, Lynn, as we get started, I thought, you know, first we could start with the book. Um, Your new book, Managing Remote Staff, focuses on capitalizing productivity while working from home. Uh, Of course, the pandemic has changed the landscape of employees working remotely. Uh, So what would be the first tip you would give a manager who is always managed in person and now they're trying to figure out how to do this effectively in a remote environment where you're trying to collaborate and be innovative and creative when you're never actually in the same physical space?
1: Yeah, that's a great question and it's always been one of the the barriers to people being more likely to embrace the whole concept. I think really there are a couple of key things but one foundational element of being successful in, in managing remote staff is to make sure that you are very clear about what your expectations are, what is the output that you're expecting. So it's really not, you're not paying these people, in most cases, uh, for the time that they're investing in their job, you're paying them for producing or accomplishing something. And the more specific you can be about what that something is, and, and the better you can ensure that employees understand what that something is, and you mutually agree to those outputs, the, the easier your job really becomes as a, a manager.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I'm glad you frame it that way. Uh, I was actually reading an article this morning, you know, at, in the wee hours as I'm waking up and before I really want to get out of bed and I'm kind of scrolling through my phone on LinkedIn, I was looking at some articles and uh, and there was an article about uh, the FaceTime in the workplace so not FaceTime the, the app right where you're where you're doing video calling, but like being in person, making sure you're putting in enough FaceTime so that people see you there and they feel like you're contributing and you're doing you know you're you're committed to the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, that whole mentality um, ha- bugs me, and it's it's been shifting for a long time, and I think uh, with with the pandemic and the move towards virtual work, ho- my hope is it never really goes back to the way it was. Uh, but I've had so I've worked with so many people who have had this super rigid mindset around you know the good workers they're there early before everyone else they stay later than everyone else uh, really no thought to productivity no thought to like what they're actually accomplishing but it was just were they there were they in person did I see them every time I walked by their office um, and that's kind of nonsensical to me. Um, because it, there's there's a lot of research on it. There's really not much correlation between like the actual time you spend in the office versus <laughs> the actual amount of uh, productivity and your overall performance. Um, and so what I hear you say is that that's absolutely the wrong approach and that we need to get away from those kind of like meaning meaningless metrics and actually get to things that are performance based and outcome based and then build your performance management and your leadership um, and your coaching and mentoring around
1: that. Exactly. And I, I think, and when I talk about remote work, another point I often try to make is that the best practices in managing remotely are the best practices in managing. So it, these same principles apply. They're good principles of management, whether you are managing people who are on site or you're managing people who are remote um, someplace else. Another point that I often make to people that has always kind of followed my mind that despite the fact that in many organizations, managers don't have that kind of face-to-face contact with employees. They might, you know, say you're a bank and you have multiple branches or you're a multinational corporation. You you may not actually be physically seeing your staff members on a day-to-day basis. So it, it really is no different than this concept of people working from their homes or, or other, you know, virtual or remote settings. Um, same same sort of thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the, what, what you said is, is just spot on. Yeah, there's really no meaningful difference between um, managing and leading effectively, whether you're in the same physical space or you're dispersed across the globe, you're, you're, you're connecting like we are right now via Zoom, or whatever. The same basic principles apply. Some of the specific strategies and tactics might be a little bit different um, as you're managing in those different types of environments, but a good leader is a good leader, and they are going to connect with their people. They're going to um, serve their people, show empathy and compassion towards their people. They're going to support their people, mentor and coach their people, and that can happen whether you're down the hall in a physical office building, or if you need to jump on, you know, a Zoom call or a Microsoft Teams call or whatever, uh, it can, it can happen. And so I think too often, uh, we're, we're too quick, um, to say, you know, this, this virtual remote environment is, is like this brand new thing. We have to like reinvent the wheel and figure it all out. I mean, to some extent there are some tactics, but, um, but largely it's, it's what we've known for a long time.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's very true. Very true. I
0: I also, I can't help but bring it up because what you said really resonated with me in terms of kind of the younger workforce. So one of the things I hear a lot, um, particularly often from kind of the older generation of managers um, in the workforce, is they kind of bemoan the, the millennials and the Gen Z workers um, who, like, they, they frame it as entitlement. Uh, I'm not sure I would frame it that way, but when I drill in, what they're really talking about is, well, this 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 uh, young employee, they come into the organization and they want to do work that's meaningful, and they want to get regular feedback, and they want to be coached, and they want to have opportunities for career development, and I just hear them click off all these things, and I'm like, well, isn't that what everybody wants? Isn't that what a good leader does? Isn't that what management is, that you do those things? So why, are we calling them entitled because they have an expectation that that would be their experience when they go to work um and when i have when I frame it that way with with people who are you know bringing that up, you know they pause and they think and they're like, huh, okay <laughs> it makes them a little uncomfortable because you know they they, they don't like having to, to you know hold the mirror up in front of them but i I think what what you're describing is the same kind of mentality that it it, it just doesn't really. Matter. Good management, good leadership is, is good leadership, whether it's in person, whether it's, um, whether it's virtual, whether you're, you're managing people who are more mature and, and senior in their career versus people who are new, coming in as, as, uh, uh, as entry-level positions straight out of college. Good leadership is good leadership, and we, we know what those principles are. We just need to put them into practice and be committed to doing those things.
1: Absolutely. Very, very true. And I think, you know, the other component that is so critical here, but also critical in in the in-person settings is communication. So once your manager, you've worked with your manager, supervisor to establish what the goals and outcomes are, then on an ongoing basis, you need to have a lot of communication to let you know, as you said, how how are you doing? How is your work contributing to the success of your department, your division, the organization? And that gives employees a, a sense of uh, motivation pride and engagement in what they're doing too often they're not getting that feedback and and again that applies in real world settings as well as remote I think there's a tendency hopefully for managers to think more about communication with their remote workers to a certain degree but it's it's important in, in any setting I mean, very important people want to know by and large I think I I used to tell managers and supervisors I worked with there are very few employees that start their day thinking, boy, how can I screw up and make my manager upset today? you know they're, they're coming into the workplace to they want to do a good job yep. they want yep. to get praised and get positive feedback. they don't they don't want to fail. Uh, so communication is so important so that managers are letting those employees know you know based on these goals and objectives we discussed, how are you doing? letting them know when things may shift, which also can happen. And if you don't tell employees that maybe the expectations have changed or the tasks have changed, they're obviously not going to be working on the things that you would want them to be working on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Open communication, transparency, regular feedback. I mean, these are just basic things that need to happen. Um, So one of the things I know you talk about a lot is staffing within a remote environment. Um, you know, everything that goes into it. So recruitment, going through the hiring process, um, getting people onboarded. How might that look a little different when we're not in a physical space and, and we're connecting remotely? I'm excited to announce will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life.
1: Yeah, I think that has been one of the the biggest shifts that has occurred since March to a large degree because a lot of companies still are hiring and staffing their organizations, they many of them aren't able to do that in person. And so they're using tools like Zoom to connect with potential employees. They're doing a lot of remote interviewing that way. They're doing onboarding that way in a virtual environment. Uh, it's been challenging for a lot of people I know. I think they're kind of working through it and coming up with some best practices and, and also with some um, good aha moments in terms of how can they make their general uh, recruitment and interviewing and onboarding practices more efficient uh, through what they're learning these days. One of the things that I still haven't seen occur to a large degree yet, and that was kind of my my hope way back in 96, that this would be something that would happen more often. I think right now, many companies are still working with, remotely with the people they already knew or they're still recruiting and hiring from their geographic, that same geographic area that is within close proximity to their physical environment where people could, once the pandemic lifts, come in, you know, physically. But the big opportunity, one of the great opportunities for people in a remote world is the ability to recruit from anywhere so that they don't need to have that talent down the street. They can, you know, look, you know, across across town, across the city, across the country, across the world uh, to get the talent that they need. And I haven't seen that really taking off yet. I see a little bit of discussion and a little bit of recognition about, oh, wow, this, this might make our, our recruitment tasks, our talent acquisition tasks a lot easier.
0: Yeah, a bigger pool, right? You have more to choose from. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and yeah, it really actually, that's something I have thought a lot about. And it kind of blows my mind that more organizations aren't embracing that because it just makes zero difference. If, if you're all remote anyways, it doesn't matter if we're all in the same city. Uh, you could be anywhere and it's literally not going to be make an ounce of difference. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I, I'm a, a professor at the university and I do consulting work in this podcast. Um, I think of my university, my university even has a policy where they don't allow for out-of-state employees. Oh. And it blows my mind. Like I can't fathom a good reason for that other than I know there's a little bit more paperwork because you have to deal with, you know, um, some tax issues in different states. But other than that, like it really makes no sense whatsoever. And that's really not a hard thing to to deal with anyways. Um, And I know, you know, we're not the only ones like there are other organizations that have a similar kind of old fashioned uh, restricted mindset and it only hurts us it does you know it, it it puts us behind the eight ball and and diminishes our ability to be effective and attract and retain the best talent when we put those kinds of unnecessary limitations on ourselves so i mean anyone listening one of the first takeaways hopefully you can get from this is like think about your organization that you lead um what what are your practices in terms of staffing and onboarding and managing your people in a remote environment are you taking advantage of the, this tremendous opportunity to now literally reach out globally to get the best people. Um, we know there's been a big talent gap in the US, for example, for years, uh, particularly in STEM fields and in some particular industries, where we just have a really hard time having enough people. And so companies have been struggling, you know, within a geographical location to get, you know, some of the types of highly skilled people that they need. Those barriers are gone now. Um, and so how are we taking advantage of that opportunity uh, that this p- pandemic has provided us and really accelerated us into this shift towards virtual work? That's that's the question I think we need to be asking.
1: Yeah, it really is. And I think you, you raise a good point in terms of companies not doing this, being behind the eight ball, because there are other companies that are going to be doing this. And they're going to be the ones that are getting that top talent that you're both competing for so it, it's very important I, mean, I do see I think that this will happen I think some of the more progressive organizations will probably already moving down this pathway and they're going to in areas like stem where there are limited people out there that can fill some of these critical positions they're going to be ahead of the game
0: yeah and that's going to make them more competitive in the market right mm-hmm. um, and so it's 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 really uh, it only makes sense uh, to try to embrace those types of opportunities. Uh, you know, as I was thinking about what you said about virtual onboarding, uh, for example, or virtual trainings, um, now that uh, people can't get together, um, you know, there, there's online trainings that companies have been doing and they create videos and they have modules and, and, and you know, so the, that sort of thing still exists. Um, but a lot of organizations were still more or less doing the face-to-face type of trainings and so now those have shifted to virtual meetings like this and they're doing online uh, face-to-face trainings, but virtually. Um, and I think there are best practices that have already been emerging. Uh, and I've noticed it just as I've been in meetings, virtual meetings uh, or involved in virtual trainings or perhaps a virtual onboarding or whatever. Um, what are some of those types of things you've noticed um, in best practices you could um, suggest to listeners?
1: Sure. Well, I think one of the the big things is that, as you said, in in the past, what we've tended to see with training, where we were doing online training, it tended to be asynchronous. So there would be these modules out there, videos out there that employees could access at their leisure, but they wouldn't be interacting in real time with the trainers. Now, though, with the pandemic, I, I see that shifting to a fairly large degree in terms of more of the real-time face-to-face interactions, which is especially apparent, I think, I've noticed in, I've been working remotely since 2008. And between 2008 and now, I participated in plenty of video conferences online, very few, maybe 5%, where cameras were on. Now, cameras are almost always on. It's become an expectation. And I think it's because of the the pandemic. A couple of things probably. I think some of the isolation maybe that people are feeling makes them feel more comfortable, more engaged, if they can actually engage and see other people at the same time. So I, I do see that happening more often. I think that's a good thing. And I, I think it provides training and development professionals and organizations in general a lot more flexibility in terms of the types of training that they do or the way that they might handle onboarding and how might they gain more efficiencies by using some combination of maybe pre-recorded interviews with employees, maybe about culture, or whatever it is, as well as more in-person interaction, Q&A um, visits with some key members of the organization, the C-suite leaders or whoever it might be, um, in a quasi face-to-face kind of a setting.
0: Yeah, and then in that kind of a hybrid approach where you have the synchronous and asynchronous virtual components, you really get the best of both worlds. Um, One of the things I've noticed is that you have to really be careful about the duration of these types of online engagements. you know, whether it's onboarding or training or just meetings in general, um, because we've all heard about Zoom fatigue and it is real. Um, <laughs> when, when you've been in, in back-to-back-to-back Zoom meetings all day for six to eight hours or perhaps like a long training um, that just goes on and on and on, it, it is, it, there's something different about it than being there in person going through a really long training or going through meetings over and over and over again. Um, and so we do have to be thoughtful about the need of people to be able to turn off their camera, uh, to be able to take breaks, um, and be thoughtful about how much time do we really need together? Um, whether it's a meeting that traditionally we always just scheduled it in 30 or one hour, you know, 30 minute or one hour blocks, but do we really actually need that? Or is that just kind of an arbitrary artifact of the way our calendars are set up? Um, if we only need 10 minutes, can we just take 10 minutes and then be done? Um, a training, do we need to be together for eight hours or four hours or even two hours? Or can some things be done asynchronously, um, through videos? And then we get together for an hour and have the meaningful dialogue and discussion that's going to enhance, you know, and really help cement, you know, what we're trying to get across in the training. These are all the types of things that I think people need to really consider. And just like it, In a classroom setting, you're trying to engage the participants, right? You want them actively involved, not just passively sitting there listening to you. Same thing, you know, in a Zoom type of environment, in a virtual environment, you need to make sure that you're having opportunities to get people participating, engaged, interacting. And uh, just because we're virtual doesn't mean we, we can let go of some of those kind of fundamental principles of effective training and development and onboarding.
1: Very true. Very true. And the the education um, reference is a good one. And I think management, trainers, HR people can learn a lot from educators because they're, as you said, they're going through a lot of these same issues with regard to engagement of students. And they are, they know more about educating. We can take, you know, take some information from their best practices and things that they're developing because it's very similar in a lot of respects. I think I also teach at the local university and I I made a mistake at the beginning of the semester, we were initially hybrid. And I had talked to another instructor from a different university who said that it was the debate over cameras on or cameras off. Do you have a a rule? And she was very opposed to requiring students to have their cameras on. For a variety of reasons, some related to um, maybe they, they were marginalized students that might be in a poor living situation or even homeless that didn't feel comfortable having their cameras on or they might suffer from anxiety or whatever it may be. So I said, oh, wow, that's, you know, that makes great sense to me. I'm not going to require that. But as soon as I told my students that. I was then, quite quickly, the only person (laughs) with their camera on. Uh, So next semester, I've already decided, no, I'll I'll come up with other ways to help the students who may be in challenging situations, but I want everybody's camera on. I don't want to be the only one (laughs) with their face on the screen. And it does make a difference from an engagement standpoint, definitely with my class. And I think, as you said, it's the same situation if you're training people in an employment setting. It's just different. And because we can see each other by having our videos on it, it's important that we are able to see each other and have those engagements.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Lynn, it has been a real pleasure talking with you. Um, This time flew by and we're about out of time. But before we part ways today, I did want to give you a chance um, to give the last word and to share with listeners how they can connect with you, find out more about your book uh, and anything else that you would like to share in closing.
1: Okay. Sure. I guess in closing, I would just encourage people to embrace this, experiment with it. Many of you have been forced to do that. Think about how you might continue it because it, it does work. As many people have seen it, it really does and it, it can work. Chances are we're going to have some kind of hybrid model moving forward. And I think one important thing that I would mention, kind of along the lines of communication, that I, I think often creates some barriers is we don't want to treat our remote employees differently from the rest of the employees from a communication standpoint. We often don't make opportunities for those two groups to engage with each other. We, for whatever reason, kind of put them into separate buckets. So I I think to be mindful of that um, and to make those connections and to allow your employees, remote and otherwise, to also share those connections independently with each other without having them to be formally arranged by the managers, supervisors, et cetera. Um, as far as my book, I yeah, I encourage everybody to buy it. There's a lot of good practical tips in there that I won't take credit for myself necessarily because I got input from a number of managers and supervisors and business owners uh, who shared their own best practices and examples in terms of how they've been successful both during the pandemic and with many of them previously. So a lot of them already were working remotely with staff. So uh, definitely can be done, a lot of good best practices. And again, just to emphasize their management practices, good ones are the same, virtual as well as in person.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much. Uh, Mm -hmm. I encourage listeners to get in touch, get connected, check out the book, find out more about how you can be more effective in leading your people towards higher productivity in a remote world. designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think.